0: Hi there, you're listening to the Carey Church Podcast. We at Carey seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to carry.asn.au. The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. It's titled, A Mother's Request. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of man may sit at your right, and the other at your left, in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, As a ransom for many:
1: Thank you, Rosemary, and good morning again. Uh, my name is Peter Scott, and if I haven't met you, I look forward to doing that, hopefully, at the barbecue this morning, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And as Sarah said, a number of times, it is Vision Sunday. So welcome to Carey and Vision Sunday. Uh, this is a day for us to talk about the vision that God has got for us for this coming year. And as we do that, I'd love you to join me in prayer as we just ask God to make sure that I say the right words this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Vision Sunday. Would you speak to us, we pray. We come before you acknowledging that you are sovereign, good, and gracious. And we come before you seeking humbly to hear what you would say this morning. The vision we want to hear and follow is yours and yours alone Father, may your will be done. Amen. Amen. Vision. So we have a vision statement around here. Hopefully it's up on the screen. Uh, And it is, uh, you should be able to say at least the first part of this, to be flourishing communities of hope. That's our short version, to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. And today, it's been put on my heart that we ought to focus today and this year on the last four words of that vision statement, serving in God's world. And to do that, I'm going to walk us through three, I'm going to call them case studies. They're probably a bit of word, but three sections, three case studies. Uh, the first one is that we are going to talk about events of last Sunday that have carried on through this week, a conversation that we've been having. Serving in God's world as us. The second one, I'm going to talk about William Carey, the bloke who we are named after. And we're going to have a little look at him. And the third one is we're going to look at Jesus and what Jesus has to say about serving. Now this morning's going to be slightly longer than usual uh, and uh, usually I try and keep it so that we can keep attention and all that but you know what, I've just got so much that I think God's wanting us to talk about this morning, it's going to be a little longer. There will be a moment where I get you to stand up and stretch so you can look forward to that if you're someone who struggles to sit down for a long time like I do. But let's talk about, well, in Alaska, we would have called the moose on the table. If you're in India, perhaps it's the elephant in the room. For us today, it is singing the Australian national anthem in a church service. Now, some of you may not know what I'm talking about. So let me explain to you uh, what happened last week. Last week, it was Australia Day. Sunday, the 26th of January. And we had a service here. And in our service, we, uh, we started with a, a, an acknowledgement of country. We sang uh, a verse, two verses of the national anthem. We had four people praying in different languages on stage. We had the Bible reading in two different languages. We had a fantastic word from Aaron Chidsey out of Proverbs 26, uh, where he sort of said to us that wisdom's often discerned through circumstance, and I'll come back to that. And then right at the end of the service, we had someone with a word, and they shared it with us, and a question was along the lines of, I'm not sure we should have sung the national anthem in this service this morning, and I'm wondering if we should repent. And that has caused lots of conversation over the last week. We have uh, sent out an email to you If you're on the emailing list, if you're not on the emailing list, uh, well, Mel's here for two more weeks. Let her know what your email address is um, and and get on that list. But we sent out an email to say, look, we'd love to have your thoughts uh, as we as a staff team digested uh, what happened. And we got lots of emails back. So two things to say. Sorry we haven't been able to reply to everybody's every thought. Um, We just haven't been able to do that. But secondly, thank you for engaging, and thank you for the tone in which you've engaged. Uh, I have had lots of conversations, I've had lots of feedback, and thank you for being gracious, constructive, even when there were deeply held emotions. Now, I wanna summarize this morning uh, where I've got to in processing this question. And I, I wanna say that there are four points of discernment Four points of discernment through this process. The first one is the team that puts a service together. So there is a group of people. So Pastor Sarah and I sit almost every week and we talk about the service coming up. Uh, Sometimes there are other people in the staff team that join us. The music team thinks about what songs. And there are a number of people involved each week in discerning how do we serve God this week? How do we serve our church family this week in what a particular service looks like? That's our focus. And that team discerned that last week we would sing the national anthem as part of the service. Discernment point one. The second discernment point was for somebody in our family to say, I think God's saying something to me and I think I need to share it. I want to encourage that. I want to say thank you for having the courage to do that. And I would love to be a family where that happens, where we expect to hear from the Holy Spirit on any given Sunday. And we do. And if God says, speak, we listen to that. So courageously, uh, I believe that person said, I want to serve God by being honouring to what he's saying to me, and I want to serve my community by sharing this. Now, just a note on this point. If that's something you think God is saying to you at any point in time, there's a sense of personal discernment. Is the time for sharing now? Who do I share it with? Who is this word for? Last Sunday, it was clearly felt, this second point of discernment, that it needed to be raised. And so on to the third point of discernment. And that was the process of deciding whether or not that word was put in front of the congregation. Now, we've got a process in place around here. uh, and, And the process, I guess, is in keeping with Matthew 18, 20, which says, Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That's what Jesus said. Two or three gather, there I am with them. In other words, let's get a couple of people at least to discern. And so that person came to me and said, Look, I think I've got a word from God. And there was a discernment point then for me as part of our process. And if you have a word, by the way, come and see myself or Pastor Sarah or Dave, or John Ollie, or Brian Harris, if they're around, one of the leaders, elders around the church, and share it with us. And that allows us together to discern whether it goes before the congregation. And on Sunday, my decision was, I think I discerned that this is to go before the congregation. The fourth and final discernment point is this open question at this point in time, should we repent? Should we, as a congregation, repent before God of singing the national anthem and I'll address that in a minute but those four points of discernment I've been asking myself this week is it possible that somewhere somebody is it possible that I got one of those points of discernment wrong absolutely yes it is in fact the only thing I'm confident about is that I will not get every point of discernment right right So it is possible that I got that wrong, that somebody in that process got it wrong. Fascinating, not fascinating, awesome that God had Aaron preaching to us on the topic that he preached to us. Now, if you weren't here, go and listen to the podcast. It's a fantastic sermon. He unpacked Proverbs 26, particularly two verses, verse 4 and 5, and they seem contradictory. And Aaron said, these two are his key statements. He said, nothing is heard until something is said. Oh, that's clear guidance for discernment. Oh, but then he also said, sometimes what needs to be said is silence. Oh, man, it's tough. How do you dis- speak or not to speak? That is our question. God placed Aaron beautifully and said, this is what I want you to speak on, son, because I know what's coming. Discernment depends on lots and lots of factors. So, could I have got something wrong? Absolutely. But I also firmly believe it's possible that every point in that discernment journey so far was correct. Here's why. First of all, prophetic words can be unsettling. Now, a number of people have shared with me, and correctly, that Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 14.3, the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Seems like a really positive thing, doesn't it? Paul's saying, if you're going to prophesy, do it for people's strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Absolutely. So I would strongly encourage anybody who's feeling like they've got a word of encouragement, please share it with us. We'd love to hear it. But I also read that word, strengthening, and as someone who's done various sports in my time, I know that the process of strengthening begins with challenge. When you try and strengthen your muscles, the first thing you actually do is break them before they can strengthen. I also read the message to the church in Revelation and the Old Testament prophets, and I see a fair bit of challenge and rebuke in those prophecies. Prophetic words can be encouraging, but they can also be unsettling when God is looking to make change. The second thing, sometimes getting it wrong actually helps us get it right. Now, I'm I'm absolutely sure that in this process, each step of discernment has been driven by the right motive. And the question that I've been really asking myself is, did I get it wrong, but... God said, that's not the right question. The question is, what are you going to learn from this? Sometimes getting it wrong helps us to get it right. And the question for all of you, if you've been engaged in this process over the last week, I believe, is what, Lord, do you want me? What do you want us to do out of this? And the third point here is that God has a much bigger picture than this because I'm convinced that this whole conversation, it's not really about singing the national anthem and I will address that in a moment, but I think it's about how we together have difficult conversations because the truth is that in this gathering, we have very different views on lots of different things, things that are deeply held. Things that are theological, scriptural. And we don't agree on those things. But the question is does that mean we are not unified? To quote Paul, by no means. We're unified because of the way we handle these things, because of the way we have the discussion. And our unity comes when we think about how do I serve God and how do I serve His church? in this sort of conversation. So with all of that in mind, how are we going to handle this fourth discernment point? Should we repent of singing the national anthem in church last week? How can I, as your senior pastor, serve you in this process? Well, I've re-listened to what was brought to the Word, and the focus of the Word was ensuring that our allegiance is to Jesus. It's actually the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, And I think that concern is absolutely correct. We ought to always be testing ourselves. Do we have only one God? Is he our only allegiance? And the concern raised was, well, there's a risk that singing the anthem could move our allegiance away from God. And I've heard from many of you, I've heard uh, some say that you had a deep discomfort when we sang that song. Some said, oh, yeah, I had a niggle and it was brought into focus when that word came. Others have said, huh? No, it didn't worry me at all. And others have said, I loved singing the anthem because I sung it in a vein of saying thank you God for the country in which you've put me. We won't reach consensus on this topic. And uh, thank you for the food, for thought, for the discernment team for Sunday, the 26th of January, 2025, when we next have Australia Day. Uh, we will, we will process that. Now, should we repent? Some say no. Some say no. Uh, a number of you have expressed the thought that repentance means turning from what we did wrong and not doing it again. For others, there is a desire to say, yeah, I, I think I need to say sorry. And so having considered this at length, I think this is something for each of us to decide in our hearts before God. We have our communion tables here. We have communion together uh, later on this morning. And I'm going to lead us through uh, what we do every time we have communion. And that's examining our hearts, examining ourselves before God. And it's a chance for each of us before our God, with the Holy Spirit guiding us to say, what do I need to repent of? Now, perhaps singing the national anthem is one of those things, but oh my goodness, there are other things too, I'm sure, in your life and in mine. So that's how I'd like to suggest that we move forward. You see, our vision here is to follow Jesus and to serve in God's world. Now, that means serving each other in the full light of differences and disagreements. And the question that I want to leave you with out of this case study, if you like, on this Vision Sunday, is how will you serve those that you deeply disagree with on what we've been discussing And how will you serve God's church, Christ's bride, in your conversations on this topic? My final word, be encouraged. Be encouraged to have a hot topic that we're passionate about, that we are able to have a conversation about maturely as a church. Wow, I wonder what God's going to do with us as we go forward. Changing gears, case study two, serving in God's Word world, William Carey style. I want to take you on a journey. Uh, it's a journey some of you know something about, but I want to give you some updated details. Uh, Helen, my wife and I and the girls, we travelled to India last year because we were so intrigued with this story of William Carey. We wanted to go and see where he had served. And so we, uh, last year we went, and we, like Kerry, we began our trip in England. Uh, we began in England, and similarly to Kerry, actually, we we're about sort of 40 or 50 Ks out of London, a uh, different place, but, but from there. Uh, and Kerry, and he grew up um, in this little village. At the age of 14, he became a shoemaker, that was his job. And uh, that's where he was actually introduced to Jesus. And he was discipled, if you like. And so by the age of 22, he'd become a part time pastor. By the age of 28, he'd become a full-time pastor and he heard a vision of the great commandment and he began to get a vision of praying for people worldwide that they'd be saved. And over a period of a few years, he became absolutely convinced that Christians had an obligation to serve people who don't know Jesus yet to share his love and Jesus' love with them on a whole different continent. And so in 1793, at the age of 32, with his wife Dorothy and his fellow missionary, John Thomas, they set sail for India. We decided to fly. It was a lot quicker. Like Kerry, we arrived in Kolkata. And at the place we stayed our very first morning, here's what we saw. Now, for those of you who know that expression. It's something that Kerry in one of his great speeches said. And it's something that we as Kerry have had as our motto. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Wow. We really felt like uh yep, yeah, God, you knew we were coming and here it is. I guess we shouldn't have been surprised, but it was kind of just amazing to see that motto right there at the place we're we staying, the entrance to reception. Uh for Carey unfortunately his reception was a little different. Uh, Their arrival was far less inspiring. At the time that they travelled, the East India Company, which was sort of the big British company that that ran a lot of the colonial parts of India, they were not particularly friendly to missionaries. And he found it very, very difficult to find a place to begin his work. Uh, Initially, he tried to run an Indio mill way up river from Kolkata, but there was a flood that got destroyed. And sort of in desperation, wondering whether actually this missionary thing was gonna work out. He caught a boat and he arrived at this place, a place called Frederick's Nagore, which is now Serampore on the Hooghly River. And uh, we believe that this essentially, not essentially, this is exactly where he arrived in about 1800. Uh, And the next slide we've got is where he stayed. This has been recently restored. It's a Danish tavern. That's where he stayed when he first arrived at this place, Serampore, which would become the heart of the missionary platform and journey. Um, We had the great privilege of being shown around by the curator of the William Carey Museum uh, at Serampore College. And uh, just to sort of prove it, because I like these sort of things, you can see there. this is the honour board inside the college that talks about the principals. There he is, William Carey, the first principal. Um, And then a picture of the the college is quite amazing to see these sort of magisterial buildings. But that was what they built in the early 1800s. That is Serampore College. Through this guide, particularly, I I learned a number of things that I want to share with you that, that were a bit different than what I'd heard before that speak, I think, into the vision that we're talking about today. The first thing I learned was this. We may never know the impact of our service. We may never know the impact of our service. Now, the only reason that Carey and the other missionaries that worked with him ended up here and were actually able to begin mission proper was because they were invited by the Danish governor, the governor of the little tiny Danish colony 40 kilometres upstream from the British one. And the only reason that Colonel Olav B. was open to hosting Carey and the missionaries was that he himself had given his life to Jesus not long before that. And he'd done that because in the other Danish colony in India, further south, a missionary called Christian Swartz had taught him about Jesus. Now, when Carey found this out, he sent a note to Christian Swartz. He basically wanted to say, thanks so much, because the impact of what you've done means that we've now got a foothold to begin mission here. But he never heard back from Schwartz, because Schwartz had died. Schwartz never heard about Kerry, a man who they call sometimes the father of modern mission. That missionary was serving God and never knew the impact of his service. So our mission, I think, of being and making disciples here, it may well have generational impact. Through our church, through the college, through the community we live in, we might not see it, but the point is that when we serve in God's world, what we are doing here today, what our kids' team are doing this very morning, we may not see the full fruit of that. But when we serve in God's world, God can do all sorts of things. We just need to trust. Visionary lesson two Sometimes we discover our gifts through serving. How fascinating that a guy who's trained as a shoemaker and then became a pastor, actually by saying, I'm going to go and serve where God's calling me to serve, discovered, or perhaps through that, God unveiled one of the most prolific gifts for translation work the world's ever seen. Between Carey and Marshman, They translated the Bible into over 30 different languages in about 30 years. I can't even envisage writing out just word for word a Bible in a year, let alone translating it from another language. Absolutely remarkable. Now, there's me standing actually underneath the Carey Museum with a statue of William Carey. And what we saw there, although We were not allowed to take photographs, which is so frustrating. You travel all the way to the other side of the world, and we stood right in front of these pages of these Bibles that had been written, handwritten by William Carey. Couldn't take photos, but we saw the front pages of all sorts of translations of the Bible. It was an incredible gift that was revealed because Carey said, yeah, I will serve God shoemaker passed out, but suddenly a new gift is revealed. Number three, communally dependent serving is more powerful. Communally dependent serving is more powerful. So it turns out, and some of you will know this, that what we think of the work of William Carey was actually the work of the Serampore Four. The Serampore Four. Now, there we go. I've got all four of them up there. Arriving in Serampore just before Kerry, Joshua Marshman was also a prolific translator. And without him, actually all the translations that were made would certainly not have been done. So it was actually a co-work of translation between Carey and Marshman. Hannah, his wife, she was the financial and administrative brains, the holder together of life of the missionaries as we know it. Now I wondered whether say I'm going to say this because I like embarrassing him. He's a he. She was a little bit like the Tim of Carey. Holds it all together. Amazing project manager. A lot of stuff was held by Hannah. She was the one who supervised and led the care of all the missionary children. Okay, not quite you, Tim. That's just the last bit. Um, She supervised the missionary children. She opened the boarding houses that were critical to this college. And she actually outlived them all. She spent 50 years there in Serampore. and And William Ward, well, there's no real point translating a Bible if no one's going to print it for you. He was the printer. He was the expert who constructed the printing factory. And we got to see some of the, the uh, typecast. He was the guy who rebuilt it when it got burnt down. He was a guy who travelled a couple of times back to the US and the UK to raise money for these Serampore and Four to continue their work. Communally dependent. They served. Each of them was indispensable to the mission, dependent on each other, and they gave their lives for that mission. I think I've got a slide there of, uh, of Kerry's grave. Visionary Learning 4. They served in God's mission to the commun- to their community and beyond. Now, I've got a picture here that I want to put up. It's probably a little word dense. Um, but this, these 11 statements are what the Serampore 4 would read out loud and commit to three times a year. So please read that as I'm talking, because it's so powerful. And as it sinks in, I was asking, reading that myself, this question. If we replaced the location there of India, if we replaced the location and said, let's make that carry what would happen if we could commit to all of those statements for us around here? Are we there yet? Am I there yet? And those questions led me to the last of these lessons that I learned from taking a trip to where Carey and the Serampore Four served. Serving in God's world is probably not going to be glamorous serving in God's world is probably not going to be g- glamorous we spent 72 hours 72 hours in this area where Kerry did his mission it was brutal there was culture shock it was the end of the monsoon 100% humidity but actually they would say not very hot uh, air quality was good but whoa oh. for the Serampore 4 though that was that's nothing That was only the start of the challenges that included homesickness, actual sickness like malaria, the death of a number of their children and the challenge of not having a plane ticket home when you want it. William Carey's first wife, Dorothy, and his first mission partner, John Thomas, both had mental breakdowns that they never recovered from. And the fruit of their work seemed so slow. The first local person to commit their lives to Jesus didn't do so until at least six years after Kerry had arrived. We carry the name of Kerry. He's a representative of this Serampore Four and their lives were totally, totally committed to serving in God's world, to serving in their community and beyond. So many rich learnings from them about how to serve. Well, I don't know how I'm going for time, but we're on to part three. And uh, what I'd like to do is invite you to stand, uh, have a little stretch and maybe say to the person next to you, should we be more like the Serampore Four or, you know, something like that that's witty and pithy and short? All right, now, if you'd like to stay standing, we're going to move into the Jesus example here. And I just want to reread what Rosemary read for us earlier, just five verses from Matthew 20. So stay standing as we read this and all sit down. When the 10 heard about this, so this was uh, the question that James and John had put to Jesus, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Grab your seats. So I want to put it to you this morning that we're being called in 2020 to follow Jesus and serve. And in this passage, we've seen Jesus respond to, to a request about status and reward. A request from his, two of his disciples, James and John, and mum. Now, we can unpack that another time. I think there's a whole another sermon in that. But it's really interesting to me that they wanted to be great. And we want to be great. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. We want to be great at caring. And what did Jesus say? He didn't say, don't aspire to be great. I find that fascinating in this passage. He didn't say, don't aspire to be great. What he said is that in his kingdom, being great is about serving others. And he also said it comes at a high cost. This vision we have of being a flourishing community, it's about serving God. Just like the conversation this week, we've got to constantly ask ourselves, are we honouring, serving God? And it's about serving others. How do my views impact others? The way that I express them, how does that serve others? How do they serve Christ's bride, the church community? And it's a vision that comes at a high cost. Now, for some of you who were deeply invested in a conversation this week, perhaps it was hard. Perhaps there was a lot of emotion. Perhaps there's struggle. And when we're trying to serve others and serve God well, there often is. The Paul Four, we've talked about them and their vision of mission. It was about serving an unreached people group. And they indeed followed Jesus' uh, giving of his whole life. They spent their whole life there, all four of the Paul Four lived the rest of their lives and died there in Serampore. The cost was everything they had. I also love that God put this passage uh, in front of me this week. Because again, as we just process this week that has been, and as we think forward, we see how Jesus handles a topic that had huge potential for division. The 10 were indignant. The two had asked something. There was deep division and what does Jesus do he calls them together and he says here's the way we're going to handle it we're not going to handle this like people who want to serve themselves actually we're going to handle this in a way that serves God and serves each other Jesus says follow me do what I do the way I do it he says the vision of living in the kingdom is to serve So I'm about to close, and some of you may be thinking, I hope you're thinking, what's the practical application? Give me something to do. As I thought about that, I thought, well, I reckon every single one of you is already serving. Who does the dishes? Thanks, John. Yeah, there's lots of people. Who does the washing? Who does the shop? I think we're all serving. And so the practical application I'm going to suggest this morning is that we actually listen to how God wants us to serve this year. And Kerry's a great example. Kerry was already a pastor. He was still listening for God. How do you want me to serve? He didn't say, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm already doing your stuff, God. No, no, no. He was listening when God said, I'd like you to go and serve over there. So here's my request my closing statement, my challenge, my vision for us this year, that we would be a people who wake up each morning and pray, Heavenly Father, how can I serve in your mission today? Heavenly Father, how can we serve in your mission today? I'm excited about that and what God might do through us and in us this year. Would you pray with me? Almighty God of heaven and earth, Hallelujah to you and to you alone. We we are a people on a journey. Help us, we pray. Heal us, we pray. Guide us and continue to reveal yourself to us. Lord Jesus, we choose to follow you. And may our vision this year be to serve, to hear what you're asking us to do, in service of you and others. Give us the courage required because the costs might be high. But may your will be done. Amen.